You want to make sure you're dressed for the game. Firefighter safety is our number one concern, and we certainly don't want our folks trying to address a wildland fire while wearing structural gear. And on the uh, the other hand, trying to work a structure fire dressed as a wildland firefighter. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Enchanted Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. Today we're going to dive into some more detail for structural firefighters who find themselves working in the wildland urban interface. If you're going to be working these fires, there are some new challenges to think about. The conditions are different, which means you'll need different training, especially if you haven't spent much time on wildland assignments. One big example is weather. It's a factor that usually isn't a consideration in structure fires, but it can mean everything in the wildland-urban interface. Here to explain what you need to be thinking about and why is Tom Ornhammer. Tom has over 40 years' experience in the fire service. He's chief of the Los Pinos Fire District in Ignacio, Colorado. He's a graduate of the National Fire Academy's Executive Fire Officer Program, and he's a fifth-generation firefighter. Tom holds a chief fire officer designation, and he's a member of the Institution of Fire Engineers. You can hear him on the Backstep Boys podcast with Ron Canterman. And as Ron says, and Tom Warhammer joins me now. Welcome Welcome to to Code 3. Scott, I appreciate you having me on. It's good to have you. All right, so some departments are better prepared than others on this issue, I imagine. For example, a lot of California agencies already work the interface routinely. In your experience, who is not prepared? You know, there seems to be that line of demarcation about halfway through the country. And the further you get east, I think the structural guys, it's not that they don't pay attention to it. I don't think anybody's pointed it out to them that, especially if you have an interface area within your jurisdiction, that you really need to kind of pay attention to some of the wildland stuff just so... A, you don't put yourself in a precarious position. Firefighter safety, as you're well aware, is our number one priority. And then to try to familiarize themselves with some of the vernacular and things that differ between structural firefighting and wildland firefighting, especially in the wildland-urban interface. We know there's a lot of value in getting out to look at your first due area before there's a fire. What should engine crews that border wildland areas be looking for in advance? 
One of the things that I would recommend is that they do a familiarization with the area to see exactly what some of the hazards and risks are of operating in the wildland urban interface. The other thing is, is try to, to pre-plan some of that stuff uh, to recognize areas where normal structural fire apparatus may not be able to access. What are you going to do in the event the fact that uh, the wildland fire impinges on a structure? Are you going to take try to take care of the structural problem, or are you going to continue fighting the wildland fire? And uh, as I'm sure you're aware, Scott, the tactics differ not not terribly, but some of the the, the ground pounders, especially on the wildland side, are going to operate a little differently than some of the structure folks are going to be used to interfacing with. Right, and you mentioned off the top of that answer some of the hazards that you might encounter there. What are some of those hazards that you could find anywhere in a wildland interface area? If you're operating in a subdivision, especially one with limited access, you need to make sure that you've got your escape routes figured out ahead of time. In the event that something does go drastically wrong and you have to cut and run, you want to make sure that you've got a good way out and that those areas have been identified and protected so you can get out if you need to. Now, structural crews that work the interface have a big advantage over straight wildland crews. They work with water. What do we need to know about hoses and hose lays specifically? If you're using wildland hoses, the first thing is it's constructed a little differently than, say, an inch and three-quarter or two-and-a-half-inch line that we would use for structural firefighting. There's no rubber jacket inside the hose, so it's a little more maneuverable, but it's something that a structural department may not be used to, uh, to operating with. And even though you could be operating in a subdivision that has a fixed water supply, you may want to consider staying mobile and using your hydrants as a fill spot so you're not tying yourself in again in the event that something goes catastrophically wrong and you're going to have to cut and run. You know, structural firefighters, we're problem solvers. And if you're faced with the decision of which problem are you going to try to address, the wildland fire or a burning structure, a lot of the departments that are more used to it carry both types of PPE. Their structural gear as well as their wildland personal protective equipment. And you want to make sure you're dressed for the game. As I said earlier, firefighter safety is our number one concern, and we certainly don't want our folks trying to address a wildland fire while wearing structural gear. And on the uh, the other hand, trying to work a structure fire dressed as a wildland firefighter. Well, you know, that brings up an interesting point. Whenever I hear dispatches to something in the interface, it's usually Engine 5, a brush fire or a wildland fire structures threatened do you go into that assuming you're going to address the wildland component or the structural component you know i wish i had the uh, the ultimate answer for that but i think the best thing uh, especially the structure guys can do is if you're going to go dressed for structural firefighting make sure you bring your wildland gear with you in case you have to make that change after you arrive 
Does the responding crew then need to decide when they arrive on scene whether they're going to do an initial attack or protect structures? How, how do they make that decision on the spot? And that's the, the, the trick to it, if you would, is company officers are going to be faced with making that decision. Uh, obviously, if you have a life safety hazard within the structure, that should probably be your main priority. But then we ignore the wildland problem and allow that to continue and possibly threaten other structures. Or do they do the initial attack on the wildland fire and write the structure off, especially if there's nobody occupying the building? Now let's talk for a minute about the lack of water in some of these scenes. If you're in the interface, of course, you likely or may have access to hydrants, and I like the idea of keeping the tanks on board full. But if they have to use portable tanks or drafting from other sources, how much training have these guys done in this, and is that a problem? Is is there a lack of training? I think it's uh, situational, depending on what your department's used to. If you haven't trained on water shuttle operations, Obviously, this is the time to start having that conversation and looking to see what's available out there in the way of training, whether it's bringing somebody in from a more rural environment to kind of train you on what needs to happen if you're shuttling water. Certainly, it's an eye-opener. I know when I made the transition from New Mexico up to Colorado, I was in a very rural fire district, and the entire water shuttle operation was a little foreign to me. Obviously, paying attention to uh, some of the training issues that go along with that. Thankfully, the firefighters up in that district were very familiar with water shuttle operations. And I kind of had to learn as I became more cognizant of some of the wildland issues. You know, we were talking about hose lines a little while ago. Is there a limit, if I decide I want to do a forward lay, is there a limit on how much hose I should put out before I'm starting to get a little out of control? I think it's going to be based upon what the performance of your equipment and what you show up on. If, if you're operating a, a, a Type 1 engine or a typical structure engine, say with a 2,000 GPM pump on it, it may not be an issue. But if you're showing up on a Type 6 or a typical brush unit, you're really going to have to be aware of what your limitations are as to how far a stretch you're going to have to, to make before you start having some pressure issues. It seems that there are times when you might show up at one of these fires where you'd look at it and go, I could probably reach that with a hose from the street here if I just stretch a little further than usual. So you're saying with the Type 1 engine, it should be possible to just try to stretch some line out there and get it? Yeah, I mean, if you have to add additional sections of hose onto it, something with a larger pump, not so much better, but larger, is going to allow you to do some of that. Now, how about weather? That's not usually a problem for firefighters in the city, although it can be, but it definitely affects crews working the interface. What do these guys need to know about weather? As a matter of fact, I'm glad you mentioned it. I've done a series of five articles now for fire engineering, uh, dealing with looking at uh, wildland urban interface issues from the structural firefighter perspective. And uh, 
the August edition will have an article I wrote on the importance of fire weather while operating in the wildland urban interface. And basically, it's just kind of a situational awareness. I highly recommend that structural crews who have uh, urban interface areas within their jurisdiction pull the fire weather forecast every morning at shift briefing and start talking about what's coming on. Uh, If you're going to be hitting dry thunderstorms in the afternoon, you probably want to gear up and consider making sure you're at the ready to deal with some of those issues as the uh, the weather uh, starts to progress. Now let's talk about command and control. Has enough attention been given to coordinating this between wildland and city fire units? Once everybody gets out there, we want them to work together. But what level of training in in cooperative efforts we have here? I think it varies from state to state. My intention was to to create a higher awareness of the, the wildland issues for the structure folks. And at a basic Uh, I know when I was in Colorado, we trained our guys up to the S-130, S-190 levels of wildland firefighting to create some of that awareness, discussing the three factors that affect wildland fire most, the fuel, the topography, the weather, the different tactics employed by wildland firefighters, the nomenclature of talking about things like the heel of the fire and flanks just to create that awareness. And certainly, much like everything else we do, pre-planning is gonna be the key to success. If you've got wildland fire group that you're interfacing with, such as a forest service resource or Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Indian Affairs, whatever you have in your, in your varying jurisdictions, you should probably sit down and start having conversations about what are you gonna do in your interface area and to make sure that you at least recognize these people as we start interacting with each other. And with that in mind, what is the one best piece of advice you can give for firefighters who are starting to have to deal with the wildland urban interface these days? Training, and it all boils down to training in the way of pre-planning your subdivisions that are at risk. One of the things I mentioned in the the series of articles that I've done is we looked at it from the response perspective, but there are plenty of great programs out there to try to mitigate some of the hazards that are out there before the fire starts. If you look at the FireWise program or the Ready, Set, Go program, to go in and start pre-planning some of these subdivisions and try to mitigate some of these hazards. The article I did on structural triage, I tried to heighten the awareness for the structural company officer that pulls up and tried to determine whether you're gonna write a structure off or not. And that is not always an easy thing for a structural firefighter to deal with. We wanna go in, we wanna save save property, we wanna stop the problem. But if you're looking at a structure in the interface that has had no mitigation done to it in the way of clearing brush or other combustibles, looking at the combustibility of the structure itself, what's the roofing material, it may heighten the awareness of the company officer to say, you know what, no building is worth the life of a firefighter and we're walking away from this one. 
It's got to be hard. I mean, that's the bread and butter for a structural firefighter. Not to mention if somebody from a resident of that house happens to be there saying, hey, why aren't you saving my house? Exactly. And the, the pressures, not only from homeowners, but the political jurisdictions that have an expectation of firefighters going in and being able to save every building may not be realistic. I said it, it, it all boils down to firefighter safety. Have you got the resources to address both problems from the wildland and the structure end? Probably not. Most rural fire departments don't have enough folks to try to address both of those issues. And the company officer is going to be faced with tremendously tough decisions as to whether to do an initial attack on the wildland issue to save other structures or to try to save the structure and let the wildland fire continue to grow. Well, I'm wondering if they might be better off to look at extension. I mean, if you've got one structure fully involved already and there are others that are having exposure issues, how do you choose between the exposures and the fire in the wildland that's causing the exposures? And that's a, that's a call for the company officer to make based on each situation. Different responses are going to allow folks to take a different approach to that. And I think, it's, Scott, what it boils down to is what's your staffing? What do you got with you? Have you got enough to try to address any of those issues and to make sure we're not putting our folks in peril by committing them to something that may be a lost cause? You know, the one thing that I, I would probably like to get across to everybody is to make sure that you are operating as safely as you can. Uh, there's been plenty of examples throughout the years of tragedies that have occurred from folks committing themselves to areas that maybe they shouldn't have. And, and the, the consequences have been terrible with line of duty deaths, injuries, and that's something I certainly was at my forethought when trying to put some of this stuff together. And we'll leave it there. Tom Arnhammer, thanks for being with me on Code 3 today. Scott, I really appreciate the opportunity, and everybody stay safe out there. And we put some more information about preparing to fight fires on the Wildland Urban Interface on our website at code3podcast.com slash interface. Check it out. Well, this seems like a good time to mention some of the new supporters who are keeping this show going. At the $5 a month level, we're joined by Andrew Crone, at the $10 level and gaining access to the Bull Sessions exclusive content is Timothy Trent. You can join these guys in making sure Code 3 keeps going strong. Just head over to Code3Podcast.com support and make your pledge today. Remember, listener support makes this show possible. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. This time we talked about what structural firefighters need to know when they work on wildland fires. I'd like to hear what experiences you had out there. What needs to be taught and what tips have you learned the hard way? Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com or leave a voicemail at 562-337-9902. I'll read your comments and play your messages on a future show. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll be here too. 
I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.